0: Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox, here are today's top stories. As inflation rages on, senators advance a bill hoping to lower costs on things like cars and computers, at the same time tackling the semiconductor shortage. Undeterred by Beijing's warnings, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is reportedly visiting Taiwan next month. What's so special about the timing and how's the Chinese Communist Party reacting? Murder charge dropped for New York bodega worker claiming self-defense. That's after weeks of criticism against the so-called soft-on-crime DA. A protest at the Supreme Court declared unlawful. Officers step in, taking with them some of the nation's top lawmakers. We'll tell you who was arrested. Planned Parenthood but aimed at teens. Is this type of clinic coming to a California school? Concerned parents had something to say about the proposal. A Texas hospital is facing staffing shortages due to hundreds of employees testing positive for COVID-19. That's despite its vaccine mandate. We spoke with an epidemiologist to discuss natural immunity and ask the hospital whether they recognize it. Baseball's all-star game is tonight. Unlike the all-star games of other leagues though, this exhibition remains competitive. We'll explain why that is. Today, senators are moving forward on a bill meant to lower costs and boost American manufacturing of semiconductor chips. This has had support from both Republicans and Democrats. NTD's Melina Wisecup brings us more.
1: On Capitol Hill today senators kicked off their procedural votes for passing the CHIPS Act as their first steps towards passing a bill that would grant $52 billion to U.S. chip manufacturers along with tax credits. This is in response to the global chip shortage that has contributed to inflation, particularly on products like smartphones, refrigerators and cars. The White House has been urging Congress to pass this bill for months now as it's one of their solutions to fight inflation. Here's what Senate Democrats told reporters today about this bill.
2: I urge my colleagues, if you want to fight inflation, if you want to create more good-paying jobs here at home, bring American jobs home. If you want to keep America strong and competitive in the 21st century, support the CHIPS Act today.
3: This is a vote for the future. I want the Democrats to be on the right side of history, and I pray that enough Republicans will join us that we can see the science section of this bill added.
1: Senate leader Chuck Schumer wants to add to this bill investments in U.S. scientific development and technology. But he says if he cannot get enough votes to add that piece into the bill, they will just move forward with the smaller scaled back version, including the CHIPS Act. Now, this CHIPS Act does look like it will move smoothly through the Senate. We've heard from Republicans over the past couple of months that they have support for this. Most recently, Senator John Cornyn says that we need to invest more in U.S. manufacturing here, saying that it, quote, does nothing to protect the United States economy or national security to have another manufacturing facility located somewhere else around the world. Now this bill is just a piece of a larger bill that was originally aimed at stepping up our competition with China. That larger China competition bill has been stalled in Congress for months because the House and Senate are unable to come to agreements in key areas, such as how far to go when cracking down on Chinese espionage. So while the two chambers are still hashing out the details for that larger China competition bill, they've decided to move forward with this more scaled back version. That is the CHIPS Act. The procedural votes have started today, and we can't expect to see final passage by later this week or next. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskopf, NTD News.
0: And staying on the Hill, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is reportedly reviving plans to visit Taiwan. That's after canceling a trip in April. Beijing has lashed out at the U.S. in response. NTD's Iris Tao has more.
4: Nancy Pelosi is reportedly packing her bags for Taiwan. That's according to a Tuesday Financial Times report that cites six people familiar with the trip they say is slated for August. And if that actually happens, the House speaker will be the highest ranking American lawmaker to visit the island in decades.
2: The demonstration of support for Taiwan against China's bullying, that's what's, that's the critical issue.
4: The visit comes at a delicate timing, as the Chinese military, which has long been suspected of planning an invasion to the democratically ruled island, is commemorating its founding anniversary in August. It also comes as Xi Jinping is seeking to extend his reign in the Communist Party's Congress later this year. And Beijing is already lashing out. Its foreign ministry warned on Tuesday that Beijing's relations with Washington will be severely damaged if Pelosi visits Taiwan to show support. But Seth Cropsey, president of the Yorktown Institute, tells NTD that he doesn't think the regime would actually do anything drastic that would lead to escalation.
5: Xi
2: Jinping and um, and the Communist Party are uh, distinguished for several things. Bullying is one of them and making a lot of fuss is another.
4: The Financial Times also noted that some in the White House had expressed concerns about the trip. But Joseph Bosco with the Global Taiwan Institute tells us that he hopes Biden will make clear the United States' commitment to defend Taiwan.
6: There are people who are nervous about doing anything that uh, makes uh, Beijing upset, but it's time we got over that and started just doing things that make sense from a U.S. policy standpoint.
4: Meanwhile, Biden and Xi are slated to hold an online meeting in the coming weeks, in which Taiwan could be a topic of discussion.
0: And in New York, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg has dropped a murder charge against the bodega worker who fatally stabbed an attacker. Back on July 1st, footage shows the bodega worker being accosted in his store. That's after the attacker's girlfriend's payment for snacks didn't go through, and an argument ensued. The man, Austin Simon, was then seen going behind the counter and shoving Alba before Alba reached for a knife on the counter. After weeks of pressure, including from Mayor Eric Adams, Bragg said he could not prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Alba was not justified in his use of deadly physical force. The reversal comes amid criticism that so-called soft on-crime DAs are endangering their districts by encouraging lawlessness with minimal repercussions. To discuss these issues and the case at hand, I spoke with Jason Johnson, the president of the Law Enforcement Legal Defense Fund. Jason Johnson, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Good to be with you.
0: Now, what's your reaction to the DA's dropping the murder charge against Jose Alba?
3: Well, it's great news. Uh, Certainly it's what I think so many people have wanted over these last uh, several weeks. Uh, Mr. Alba never should have been charged. Um, I'm, I'm very, very pleased that uh, they've taken a second look at it and decided to, to drop the charges.
0: Footage of what happened was available the whole time. And to many, it seemed like a clear-cut self-defense case. Do you think the DA should have made this decision earlier?
3: Well, I do. I, I don't think Mr. Alba should have ever been charged. I think, you know, any time that you're uh, charging someone with second-degree murder, and there's lots of evidence available, you know, district attorneys should go through that very carefully before making a decision, especially in an, in such an obvious self-defense circumstance. Uh, this was this was something that really required their scrutiny. And in fact, probably should have been presented to a grand jury before charges were brought. That didn't happen. They jumped right on it to charge them. I and I think it's it's just evidence that their inclination is to scrutinize more carefully what victims do than what perpetrators do. And uh, here was a victim who was, who was being uh, bullied, shoved, potentially robbed, assaulted for sure. Uh, he was defending himself, and uh, they, they, they jumped uh, on charges very, very quickly. I'm glad those charges are gone on behalf for, on, for the sake of Mr. Alba and his family, but he should, never should have been charged.
0: Do you think this sends a message to New Yorkers and potential criminals? And if so, what kind of message does it send?
3: well I think the you know the message that has already been sent is that the district attorney's office is going to scrutinize what victims do more than they do what perpetrators do and certainly they're going to scrutinize what police officers do more than people that would commit you know acts of violence on the streets. It is encouraging that they've dropped the charges but I really hope that, uh, that Mr. Bragg and his staff take this as a lesson that you know this is not what the community wants and if they feel like that, that getting elected was a mandate, to uh, uh, you know, uh, further perpetuate these social justice notions of being a prosecutor, I think that this is a, an important lesson. I'm glad he's receiving it now.
0: Jason Johnson, president of Law Enforcement Legal Defense Fund. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: We reached out to Alvin Bragg's office for comment, but they didn't get back to us before airtime. Now turning to abortion, whose advocates continue to protest the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Some members of Congress were at the Supreme Court today. Over a dozen were escorted away. That's Democratic Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, taken away by law enforcement. According to D.C. police, protesters were illegally blocking traffic adjacent to the Supreme Court. Law enforcement says 35 were arrested, 17 of them members of Congress. That includes Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, Ilhan Omar, and Rashida Tlaib. Omar, commenting on her arrest on Twitter, said she'll do whatever it takes to protect what she calls a fundamental right. The highest court in the land has been fenced off for weeks. The border came up shortly after the court's draft opinion on the latest abortion case was leaked. A planned parenthood clinic specifically for teens, that might soon be the case in California. And because of a California law, they can get all the services they want without parental consent. Here are the details.
4: Planned Parenthood is proposing to set up a clinic in a Los Angeles high school. According to the proposal between the abortion provider and Norwalk La Mirada Unified School District, abortions will not be performed at the site, but a range of other services would be provided to students. According to the proposal, students could, for example, get STD treatment or even IUDs and could also be referred to other clinics operated by Planned Parenthood where abortions could be performed. Attorney Ryan Heath spoke to Fox News on the topic. He pointed out that Planned Parenthood is now a leading provider of cross-sex hormones. According to Heath, there's nothing in the contract that would prevent Planned Parenthood from giving out those hormones. He went as far as to say that the district is trying to create transgender conversion camps. Under California law, all these services can be provided to minors without parental consent. The school district was scheduled to discuss the proposal on Monday until these protesters showed up. The footage you're seeing here was posted on Twitter by VPS Reports. The school district then issued a statement on Twitter saying they'll postpone the Planned Parenthood clinic discussion. The Board of Education has issued no further comments. It's not clear yet when the district will take up the proposal again. Reporting by Ariane Pastar, NTD News.
0: One of the largest hospitals in Texas is facing staffing shortages after over 400 of its employees tested positive for COVID-19. This comes after the hospital enforced a vaccine mandate and fired unvaccinated employees. NTD's Jason Perry has that story.
7: Houston Methodist Hospital in Texas was the first hospital in America to mandate a COVID-19 vaccine for all of its employees. And in 2021, 153 staff members who refused the vaccine quit or were fired. Now the hospital is facing a staffing shortage as 400 of its employees reported testing positive for COVID. Houston Methodist CEO Dr. Mark Boom previously explained that the mandate was for preventing infection and spread to patients. Dr. Paul Alexander, however, didn't agree with the hospital's vaccine mandate. These vaccines should have only been offered and not mandated to the population. Alexander is an epidemiologist focusing on clinical epidemiology, evidence based medicine, and research methodology. He shares his work at drpaulalexander.com. He also served in the Trump administration as a COVID policy advisor. Alexander cited studies that indicate the superiority of natural immunity.
6: Particularly to frontline people like nurses who were the healthiest among us, who were seeing people for, for two years, two and a half years in COVID, who were almost for sure exposed, got infected, recovered, were naturally immune. And we know that Brownstone paper that I put out in Brownstone uh, with over 170 um, articles showing that natural immunity is superior to vaccinal immunity.
7: Nurse Jennifer Bridges was fired by Methodists in June 2021 for refusing the vaccine. She and a number of other former Houston Methodist workers sued their employer over the refusal to recognize natural immunity. But the lawsuit was thrown out and the appeal was rejected. Bridges told The Epic Times, It's sad that they would rather keep away very healthy, unvaccinated nurses with natural immunity when they need us so badly. We reached out to the Houston Methodist Hospital and asked specifically whether they recognize natural immunity, and we did not receive a direct answer. Instead, we were provided with an email from the executive vice president, Dr. Robert Phillips, which was sent to all employees recently. Phillips praised the vaccines and said, Some in the community are using the rising number of cases to spread misinformation about the efficacy of COVID-19 vaccines. Jason Perry, NTD News.
0: In Nevada, a fire broke out at the Hoover Dam this morning. Fortunately, it was put out quickly before the fire department had even arrived. The Bureau of Reclamation says a transformer caught fire at around 10 a.m. They're still investigating what caused the fire. The people who took this video said they heard an explosion before the fire. No one was hurt, and the fire didn't impact the power grid. The Hoover Dam is located where Lake Mead meets the Colorado River on the border of Arizona and Nevada. The massive dam, completed in 1935, generates enough hydroelectric power to serve 1.3 million people. AND COMING UP, A CALIFORNIA SCHOOL DISTRICT MANDATES MASKS INDOORS FOR ITS CLASSROOMS AND OFFICES. PARENTS POINT TO THE DANGERS THEY SAY THE SCIENCE SHOWS WITH EXTENSIVELY MASKING CHILDREN.
8: NTD'S capital REPORT, IT'S ABOUT GETTING ANSWERS. Cutting through the fog of politics, it's about your questions and our chances to ask. What is the net impact of the American Carson Graves? Thank you for joining us. We're speaking to those in power to find out what does this mean for the people. We're here, so you are in the know.
9: At The Nation Speaks, we don't just scratch the surface. We want to go wide and deep our viewers come away with a much richer understanding of the issues of the day. We really make a big effort to bring on different voices onto the show. We don't just talk to experts and newsmakers, which of course are extremely important, but we also want to hear from the American people. So the people who are impacted by the policies and issues that we're talking about, because what they have to say is just as important to the national conversation.
0: Now to the West Coast. The San Diego Unified School District on Monday reinstated an indoor mask mandate. They say it's due to rising COVID-19 transmission rates, but parents say it's gone too far. Local parents came together the same day to protest the mandate outside the San Diego County Registrar of Voters. Parents say school boards have not acted in the best interest of students during the pandemic and that the new mask mandate doesn't follow the science. Many of these parents are running for a place on school boards across San Diego County. They say their effort is to return the focus to effective education. Earlier today, I spoke with Sharon McKeeman, a mother and the founder of the organization, Let Them Breathe, who's now running for her local school board. Sharon McKeeman, welcome to our show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Now you've been fighting mask mandates for almost two years now. What's it like to hear your school board announce a new mask mandate?
10: Well, it's it's not a shock, unfortunately, because San Diego Unified has continued to do the wrong thing for students. But at the same time, it is deeply disappointing, and it is something that is just galvanizing our group and other parents uh, to stand up and oppose uh, San Diego Unified. Is the second largest school district in the state? I think the entire nation's eyes are on it right now. And what a lot of the transmission that a lot of parents are concerned about is these mandates spreading again uh, in advance of the school year. Their kids need to be able to breathe freely and share their smiles and engage in their education.
0: Yesterday, your organization Let Them Breathe held a rally against these mask mandates. Can you tell me a bit about what parents are feeling and what are they thinking about this as well?
10: Well, I think that what is really uh, especially heartbreaking and difficult right now is that this mandate is being implemented on students that are in summer school. So these are the kids that uh, incurred learning loss um, during the pandemic. They have, you know, things they need to catch up on. And so the, they're the ones who will be probably most harmed by the mask mandate. Of course, I think that parents are a little bit in shock <laughs> that we're even ha- having this conversation again. The science is clear. Uh, the masks are not. Not effective. Uh, they're not necessary for kids, but also studies are just confirming parents' concerns that they've been expressing for two years now, which is these masks. They do uh, harm social, emotional, uh, and academic development. Kids are seeing physical symptoms as well, and and part of uh, the rally yesterday in the press conference is that there are a lot of parents that are stepping up to run for school board because they
0: feel like they've been speaking out to their school boards and they haven't been listening. And despite all of those symptoms and outcomes that you have mentioned, the school board has said that if if children don't want to wear the mask, then they can just learn from home. And there's plenty of research out there that even remote learning is quite harmful to children. So should this option even be on the table?
10: It shouldn't be on the table. Distance learning has been proven to be an absolute failure. Uh, In my school district alone, there was over a 300% increase in failing grades during distance learning. It has been, studies are showing that there's, just in math pass rates, a 20% decrease uh, when it comes to minority students. So we should be helping students recoup learning loss and get back to normal. THRIVE AND SUCCEED, THEY'RE OUR NEXT GENERATION, NOT CAUSING THEM FURTHER HARM AND FURTHER DIFFICULTY. YOU KNOW, ADULTS ARE OUT THERE GOING TO BASEBALL GAMES, ENJOYING SUMMER ACTIVITIES, WHILE BEHIND CLOSED DOORS, KIDS ARE SUFFERING BEHIND MASKS AGAIN.
0: AND YOU'VE SAID THAT THIS IS A PIVOTAL MOMENT TO STAND UP FOR STUDENTS. WHY IS THAT?
10: Well. You know, I think that this has gone on for two years. It's been way too long. And what we're hearing from San Diego Unified is, well, this will be two weeks. Well, we, we've heard that before, so it is a pivotal moment, uh, not just to not comply because what we've seen is peaceful noncompliance works. We have a smile toolkit on our website that parents can use legal and advocacy resources that work to end uh, the statewide mask mandate, but also parents are stepping up to run for school board. So parents um, across the state are filing to run for school board to serve and to lead and uh, you know help us get back on the right track schools shouldn't be about politics they should be about education
0: in fact you registered to run for school board just yesterday could you tell me more about why you decided to run
10: yes i picked up my papers and i am uh, filing to run for school board i think that uh You know, I years ago couldn't have seen this coming, but I have a background in education. I've been incredibly involved um, in advocacy over the past two years. And again, uh, I am running to put kids first, to serve families. There shouldn't be division um, created by schools between parents and students and fiscal responsibility. I think there's a lot of parents also asking, where did those COVID funds go? Why are students being harmed instead of serving them? And in the end, I would much rather step up to serve and lead than to continue to talk at a school board that's not dialoguing with parents and is not doing the right thing for them.
0: Sharon McCammon, mother and founder of Let Them Breathe. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And we reached out to the San Diego Unified School District for comment, but we didn't hear back before airtime. Now to San Francisco's new district attorney, who has been on a firing spree after her predecessor was recalled.
11: The new district attorney in San Francisco has fired at least 15 employees. Brooke Jenkins, the San Francisco DA, said in a statement last week that she made difficult but important changes to her management team and staff. She cited her promise to the public of restoring accountability and consequences to criminal justice. Among those who were fired was former San Francisco managing attorney Arcelia Hurtado, who headed the city's Innocence Commission. Hurtado expressed her disappointment on Twitter, writing, After over two years of tireless and devoted service to the city and county of San Francisco, I was unceremoniously fired without cause via phone by the mayor's appointed DA. She included her ethnicity and sexual orientation in the tweet. Brooks' predecessor, Chesa Boudin, was recalled on June 7th amid criticism of a citywide surge in crime, homelessness, and drug usage in public. Daniel Hall, NTD News, California.
0: California union members may be in for a tax break according to a new California law but there are still questions about whether the state can afford it.
11: Governor Gavin Newsom recently signed Senate Bill 189 into law. This bill intends to offset a portion of costs associated with union membership by way of tax credit. Any potential credits are at least two years away. Legislators will need to determine in 2024 if the state has enough funds to pay for it. More legislation is needed for the program to begin. The Union Food and Commercial Workers Union praised the program, saying it levels the playing field for union workers. But fiscal hawks have criticized the credit, the first of its kind in the nation. John Morlock, a former Republican state senator from Costa Mesa, told The Epic Times this is a massive gift to union members. We're in one of those eras again where an association is wielding too much power. Labor, restaurant and teachers unions have poured millions into Newsom's campaigns. Most recently, donors spent large sums of money to fight the 2021 statewide effort to recall him. California's largest union, the Service Employees International Union, or SEIU, Local 100, boasts nearly 60,000 members. The union has contributed nothing this year to Republican candidates. According to Open Secrets, 99% of SEIU's political contributions went to Democrats. Or for efforts against electing Republicans. Daniel Hall, NTD News, California.
0: A number of shootings have occurred in recent weeks. Could they be connected in some way? One researcher told NTD's The Nation Speaks that the media might be partly fueling them.
12: In May 10th of this year, 10 people were killed in Buffalo. 21 were killed in Uvalde, Texas, 19 of them children. On July 4th, a gunman in Highland Park, Illinois killed seven and wounded 25. Media often shows and repeats the names and faces of the gunmen. But how often do we see the faces of victims in the news? NTD's The Nation Speaks spoke with Gregory Perot. He's a journalism professor who has studied media coverage of mass shootings. He says far too much attention is given to the shooters.
13: When one shooting event happens, there tends to be a bit of an uptick in a number of shooting events that follow. We've certainly seen this in recent days.
12: Part of that might be due the attention shooters get from the media. Perot says that many shooters seek that attention. One example is the statements that some of them write.
13: Those are designed explicitly for journalists to share. Um, and that's part of the shooter's agenda in writing such a thing, that journalists will be sharing them um, and will be sharing them widely.
12: He says that media should say the shooter's name only once after officials announce it, but shouldn't keep repeating it. In July of 2012, 12 people were killed at a movie screening in Denver when a gunman shot into the crowd. One of the victims was 24-year-old Alex Tevez. His father, Tom, told The Nation Speaks about the media coverage his son's killer was getting.
1: I've read articles in six paragraphs that the name of the individual who shot my son was mentioned 41 times. If I was a journalist professor and you turned in a paper like that, I would fail you for redundancy.
12: Tom is actively working towards his goal that these shooters don't get media attention. He is the founder of NoNotoriety.com. On the website, he posts articles and studies that show a common desire among shooters is to be noticed and to become infamous. He says all that attention is what motivates the killers.
1: Every expert from law enforcement to the the psychiatric community agree with us that that is the single greatest motivation.
12: You can catch the full episode of The Nation Speaks on NTD.com and on Epic TV.
0: And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up, a Boston rally has brought attention to religious persecution under the rule of the Chinese Communist Party. Falun Gong practitioners recounted their experiences of being persecuted inside and outside of China. And baseball's all-star game is tonight. Unlike the all-star games of other leagues, though, this exhibition remains competitive. NTD's Dave Martin reports on why that is. In July 1999, the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, launched its notorious persecution against the faith group Falun Gong. Under the decades-long clampdown, a staggering number of practitioners have been kidnapped, illegally imprisoned, and even tortured to death. This past weekend, a rally in Boston called for international attention to the ongoing atrocities in mainland China and beyond. Here's more.
4: July 20th of this year marks the 23rd anniversary of the persecution of Falun Gong in China. To observe the date, a rally was held at the Boston Common, a public park in downtown Boston. Luan Shujun is a Falun Gong practitioner from the northern Chinese city of Heilongjiang. In 2008, he was illegally detained by police in Beijing.
12: When I was arrested, I was taken to a detention center, where a man named Shiyong from the 610 office in Chaoyang District Police interrogated me. The first sentence he said was, Luan Shujun, we have investigated you, and we know you are a good person. From his words, I could tell that the CCP knew that Falun Gong practitioners are good people, and all they wanted was to suppress and persecute us. The 610 office is an
4: extra-legal agency established by the Chinese Communist Party on June 10, 1999. The office has the authority to override China's constitution and laws. Its sole purpose is to monitor and enforce the persecution of Falun Gong. Even practitioners in the United States are subject to threats from the CCP. Bella Zhuo is a psychiatrist from Shanghai. During her postdoctoral fellowship at Harvard Medical School in 2015, she gave a presentation mentioning the persecution of Falun Gong.
6: After my presentation at Harvard, one program director from China came to my residence in Boston and wanted to take my eight-year-old son around for me for a private conversation out of fear of what might happen to my son. I refused.
4: She says her son was scared and developed a fever that night. But that wasn't the end of Zuo's story.
6: After that, I was threatened to end my fellowship earlier than I was supposed to. And I was told to write a so-called repentance statement before I returning to China. Otherwise, I would lose my job back in Shanghai
4: refused to write the statement renouncing her faith. As a result, she was dismissed from the hospital she had worked at for 15 years. Following speeches at the Boston event, yellow-clad ralliers also took to the front lawn of the Massachusetts State House. There they demonstrated the five meditative Falun Gong exercises to music. Some visitors paused to take pictures of the display. Others added their names to anti-persecution petition sheets. Since its spread from China in 1992, Falun Gong has been practiced by millions of people in over 70 countries around the world. But that large number prompted the CCP to begin a brutal crackdown on July 20, 1999. Forms of persecution include beatings, forced labor, live organ harvesting, illegal imprisonment, and more. A report shows that in 2021 alone, more than 6,000 Falun Gong practitioners were illegally arrested or jailed. At least 10,000 reported being harassed by officials.
0: Now turning to a victory for Twitter. A judge ordered an October trial for its lawsuit against billionaire Elon Musk. Lawyers for both parties squared off in court for the first time today. Twitter sued Musk to force him to complete his $44 billion deal to buy the platform. He backed out saying Twitter didn't give adequate information about how many fake accounts are on the platform. Today's hearing focused on how soon the case will go to trial. Twitter wants it to happen as soon as possible. It asked for a four-day trial in September. Musk's legal team opposed that, asking for a February 2023 date. The judge sided with Twitter and ordered a five-day trial in October. And Amazon is fighting back in a court of law against fake reviews. They're accusing private Facebook groups of gathering fake review posters for profit. NT Sean Marshall has more.
5: Amazon is suing more than 10,000 group admins or group leaders for allegedly coordinating people to post fake reviews in exchange for cash and goods. That's how many groups Amazon has reported to Facebook since 2020. It's unclear who's in charge of the Facebook groups. Amazon said it filed a lawsuit in order to learn their identities, shut down the groups, and compel them to return their ill-gotten gains from brokering fake reviews, according to the complaint. Posters will often try to evade detection by Facebook's moderators by concealing the phrase refund after review and instead typing our fund after our view. Amazon strictly prohibits fake reviews and has more than 12,000 employees around the world dedicated to protecting its stores from fraud and abuse, including fake reviews. If you're ever nervous about buying on Amazon, there are apps that help spot fake reviews. Sean Marshall, NTD News.
0: Wealthy foreign and buyers have been known for snatching up U.S. homes, often in all-cash deals. But lately, they've been missing in action. What's the reason? NTD's Phil Zou reports.
6: I'm buying this house all cash. That's often what you hear from a rich foreign buyer bidding on a U.S. home but since the pandemic, the share of homes sold to foreigners have hit record lows.
3: The level of um, international demand is nowhere near what it was in the three to four years prior to the pandemic
6: foreign buyers purchased just around 100,000 homes in the U.S. from last April to this March. That's an 8% decrease from the year before and a 12-year low, according to the National Association of Realtors. Jonathan Miller is a home appraiser and real estate professor at Columbia University.
3: Uh, what typically drives in an international buyer or investor demand is uh, a currency play where the dollar is weak against other currencies. And so the buyer's outside the U.S. Uh, realize a significant discount.
6: But right now, the U.S. dollar is strong, so foreigners using currencies like the Euro are paying a premium and not getting a discount.
1: New York is always a hot spot, and there's always people who are looking to make good investments.
6: Property agent of New York, Lauren Hurwitz, says one of her biggest foreign national buyers is pushing his search to next year.
1: Money's no object, and sky's the limit, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's willing to spend whatever he wants. And he's gotten outbid and is now staying in London, where he lives, um, because he's just going to wait and see what the spring market brings.
6: Tim Costello is the founder of Builders Digital Experience, based out of Austin, Texas.
13: Of course, new homes are such an incredibly uh, good opportunity uh, for international buyers.
6: Costello's company operates a huge property website for buyers of newly built homes. It's
13: an incredibly good opportunity now for foreign buyers to re-enter the market and be able to buy real estate. Uh, you know, more affordably in a more normalized market.
6: Foreigners' share of overall dollars spent on U.S. properties plummeted to 2.6 percent. The percentage was as high as 10 percent back in 2017. Phil Zoe, NTD News.
0: And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories.
9: Baseball's All-Star Game is tonight in Los Angeles with Dodgers star Clayton Kershaw set to start for the National League while the American League counters with Tampa Bay's Shane McClanahan. A new wrinkle to this year's game will be instead of going to extra innings in case of a tie, the teams will have a home run derby to determine the outcome. Each squad will send out three players to take three swings to decide the winner. The All-Star Game has gone to extra innings 13 times since its inception in 1933. Managers typically run short on pitchers, though, in an effort to get everyone into the 9-inning game. Thus, going past the 9th frame can be problematic. The American League has dominated this exhibition of late, having won 8 in a row and 20 of the last 23 to take a 46-43 overall lead with two ties. The event differs from the all-star games of the NBA, the NHL, and the NFL's Pro Bowl in that baseballs, which is mostly a non-contact sport, is actually competitive. Tonight's game starts at 8 o'clock Eastern Time. In basketball news, Brittany Griner has now been detained for more than five months in Russia, and her trial isn't set to resume until July 26th. But President Joe Biden today signed an executive order aimed at punishing criminals and government officials who hold wrongfully detained Americans captive. The order relies on the Robert Levinson Hostage Recovery Act. The act authorizes the president to impose sanctions, such as revoking visas on those believed to be involved in the wrongful detention of US citizens. In addition, the State Department is adding a new country risk indicator, marked as D for detention, to warn travelers about where there's believed to be a higher risk of detention. The indicator will be initially applied to China Burma, Iran, North Korea, Venezuela, and Russia. In NBA news, the Phoenix Suns have officially re-signed center DeAndre Ayton to a four-year, $133 million deal, matching the offer Ayton signed with Indiana. Because he was a restricted free agent, Phoenix had the right to match any offer. The significance of the deal goes beyond keeping him with the Suns, though. Aiden had been rumored to be a big part of the possible trade for Brooklyn superstar Kevin Durant. Now with a new contract signed, Aiden can't be dealt until January 15, 2023 at the earliest. Durant, who requested to be traded from Brooklyn on the eve of free agency, was rumored to be interested in coming to the Suns. He would certainly have come at a significant cost though, yet it seems unlikely Phoenix would include stars Chris Paul or Devin Booker in any trade Making the 23-year-old Aiton the most logical centerpiece of any deal, the 6-foot-11 center averaged 17 points and 10 rebounds a game last year, in helping the Suns to the best record in the league. Aiton was suspended for 25 games though in 2019 for violating the league's anti-drug program. This season, he was benched for part of Phoenix's Game 7 loss to Dallas after appearing to exchange words with head coach Monty Williams. The NBA season tips off on October 19. That's all for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph.
0: Thanks, Dave. And coming up, Ukraine's First Lady Olena Zelenska is visiting the United States. Who has she met so far and what's on her agenda? And for the first time ever, the UK temperature has exceeded 40 degrees Celsius or 104 degrees Fahrenheit. Will there be relief anytime soon? Find out more in just a moment here on NTD News.
13: In every country communism gains power, authoritarianism and death followed in its wake. Communism promises a world without suffering, and yet, in its execution, does the exact opposite. Following Lenin's death, Stalin's 29-year reign killed an estimated 60 to 66 million people. More famines and purges would occur. The very peasants that communism was supposed to benefit instead starved to death under its rule. The party dictates what is right and wrong. Mao ended up killing between 50 million and 70 million people. As an investigative journalist, I want to understand why.
0: Ukraine's First Lady Elena Zelenska is on a high-profile trip to the United States this week. Her first stop was in Washington, where she met with Secretary of State Antony Blinken. The State Department said the Secretary assured Zelenska of U.S. commitment to Ukraine.
11: This really was uh, an opportunity for the Secretary to underscore the United States' uh, comprehensive and enduring commitment to uh, the people of Ukraine. Uh, He had an opportunity to commend the First Lady's uh, work to support the many civilians, Ukrainian civilians, who have been uh, in different ways impacted by uh, this brutal war against Ukraine.
0: Zelenska's visit includes a meeting with her American counterpart, Jill Biden. This is the second time the two First Ladies have met since war started. Previously, Zelenska hosted Jill Biden on Mother's Day during her unannounced visit to Ukraine. Since then, Zelenska's media exposure has increased. She has promoted counseling millions of Ukrainians now dealing with grief and trauma. Next on the First Lady's itinerary is an address to U.S. lawmakers in the Congressional Auditorium at the Capitol on Wednesday. And over in the U.K., after the warmest night on record on Monday, Britain has today for the first time seen temperatures over 40 degrees Celsius or 104 Fahrenheit, breaking the previous record by more than one degree. The intense heat is bringing about fires and drought. Fortunately, showers are on the way for some parts of the country. NTD's Eddie Aitken has more.
2: Temperatures have reached 40 degrees Celsius for the first time in the U.K., with 40.2 degrees recorded at Heathrow Airport and in Coningsby, Lincolnshire on Tuesday. The Met Office say many other places of England also saw temperatures of nearly 40 degrees, including Cambridge, Kew Gardens, Northolt, and St. James's Park in London. A tourist from Alaska said their London hostel was so hot, they wanted to find a park close to the Thames and get some breeze and shade. Yeah, this uh,
9: this is pretty extreme. We weren't expecting this from London but we're just going to suffer through it because we're here for two days. We're going to make the most of it, and, uh, yeah, we're sweating a lot.
2: It comes after the UK experienced its warmest night on record on Monday. The London Fire Brigade declared a major incident on Tuesday afternoon as firefighters battled several significant fires across the capital. Firefighters attended a fire at Dartford Marshes in Kent on Tuesday. Around 60 firefighters were called to tackle a wildfire at Licky Hills Country Park near Birmingham on Monday. Fire services from around the country were called to a field fire in Cheshunt on Monday afternoon and fought the blaze, spread over roughly 200 acres until 1am on Tuesday. Experts are worried about the possibility of major wildfires tearing through the countryside, endangering wildlife. The National Trust has warned against lighting barbecues or campfires in open countryside and dropping litter such as glass bottles. Drone footage filmed on Monday showed the Glenon reservoir dried up as Wales recorded its highest ever temperature. A bridge which is usually submerged is seen in the footage over the dried bed. However, residents in Cornwall were lucky as a thunderstorm hit the country in the morning and relieved the heat. The Met Office said Wednesday's going to be hot so much less than Monday and Tuesday. Eddie Aitken, NTD News.
0: And France is suffering from a severe drought. Lavender and sunflower crops have been hit especially hard. France is the largest lavender producer in the world, and parts of southeastern France are famous for lush fields of purple that blanket the area in the summer. But this year, large areas of lavender and sunflower are dying. Here's NTD's John D with this report.
14: This region in southeastern France is renowned for its stunning summer displays of sunflowers and lavender, but this year the famed crops in the Alpes Haute provence are desperate for more water. The water table has not been replenished enough to cover the needs of arable farmers, already parched by the lack of rain over winter last year. There was also not enough rain during the spring. This sixth generation farmer says this year's sunflower harvest is looking bleak, with almost half the usual yield set to be lost.
0: Sunflowers
6: are affected because because it is a plant which is sown in spring, and so their raising and the sowing have been difficult. And to have sunflowers like this, we had to do two rounds of watering, and we may need two more before the harvest, when normally we do one round of watering. So we are multiplying the water intake by three or four.
14: France is the largest producer of lavender in the world. Famed for its lavender and truffles, this commune is a popular draw for tourists wanting to see the lush fields of purple that blanket the area in the summer. Valençol boasts the most lavender fields in France, but farmers say the extreme heat this year will see lavender harvests fall by half. Farmer Charles Aubry says this year's crop is one of the worst in his memory.
6: Drought really is something this year which is very exceptional. We have had new harvesting techniques for 30 years, and it is the worst year in 30 years, except the years with hail. One out of 10 years we have hail. But this year, it is really the drought which penalizes. We are going to have half the harvest.
14: If this weather becomes the norm, sunflower and lavender farmers will face a battle to grow viable crops. John D. NTD News.
0: Coming up, in Sweden, a first-of-its-kind so-called smart road is helping power an airport shuttle bus. It's part of the country's plans to achieve net-zero emissions by 2045. Three orphaned bear cubs were rescued in Southern California after their mothers died. They will be released back into the wild when they're older. On the Swedish holiday island of Gotland, a first-of-its-kind so-called smart road is helping power an airport shuttle bus. The tech could soon be charging up to 1,200 miles of the country's busiest roads. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports.
8: This airport bus is about to go on a journey, partially powered by the road it's driving on. On the Swedish island of Gotland, one of its busiest roads is buzzing with wireless electric energy.
10: We are entering the electric road. It's a wireless electric road, so we are charging while driving right
8: now. The smart road is a one mile long demo project on the outskirts of the island's biggest town, Visby. It works using dynamic wireless power transfer technology, allowing electricity to wirelessly flow from five foot long copper coils built under the asphalt to three receivers installed underneath the bus. The
10: road is uh, identifying uh, this bus and as as soon as we uh, drive over the coils, the road starts to transfer energy through the air to the bus.
8: Electricity is transferred via induction, a technology that's seen in electric toothbrush chargers, modern stoves and more.
10: With this technology, you can have smaller batteries and you can charge while you go.
8: The road is claimed to be a world first for charging larger trucks and buses. Karla Narsen says the technology isn't wasteful. A management system detects approaching electric vehicles and delivers targeted energy just to them.
10: It's invisible. So when you look at the road, you don't see anything. We have the management
0: units under the ground. That's a big thing for maintenance and for safety.
8: The technology was developed by Israeli company Electrion. The company says tests have seen a 40-ton truck reach speeds of up to 50 miles per hour, while receiving an average charge of 70 kilowatts from the electrified roadway.
0: If you have this
6: together in synergy with the road system, electric road system, uh, dynamic charging, means that you don't have to have a battery at all, or you can have a smaller battery, especially for the heavy traffic.
5: Sweden's
8: government has set an ambitious goal of installing around 1,200 miles of electrified roads by 2030. It's part of a plan to achieve net zero emissions by 2045. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: And finally, in Southern California, three bear cubs were rescued from the wild after their mothers died. They will stay at a wildlife protection facility until they're old enough to leave.
7: The California Department of Fish and Wildlife rescued three black bear cubs and brought them to the San Diego Humane Society's Ramona Wildlife Center on Monday. Two of the cubs, about 5 months old, were orphaned after their mother was killed by a civilian while foraging for food near a cabin in Valley of Falls in the San Bernardino Mountains. The third cub was found near Lake Arrowhead, where its mother was believed to be hit by a car. Bear cubs usually stay with their mothers for the first two years of their lives. The cubs will stay at the center for proper nutrition and to practice their natural skills before being released in the wild again.
0: And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.